We're in Numbers chapter 14, still in Numbers 14, but we're going to look at three verses that we read over last week, but uh, I didn't touch upon them because they're a sermon in and of themselves. But in Numbers 14, we see God being great in his mercy and in his forgiveness. Moses proclaims God's greatness, and Moses knew God more intimately than perhaps anyone in the Old Testament. Moses certainly knew him better, knew God better than anyone in his generation. Moses, the great leader of the exodus of Israel out of Egypt. And Moses, he would talk to God in a, in a friendship type way. We read where Moses and God would talk face to face. That's indicating a friendship type conversation. But all the while, God is grooming Moses through his time on the backside of the desert, following Jethro's sheep. He didn't even have his own sheep. All this time, God is grooming Moses to be his leader. And God speaks to Moses through a burning bush. Moses is out on the backside of the desert because he has killed an Egyptian who he saw beating a fe fellow Israelite. And it, we, we read where Moses chose the reproaches of being an Israeli slave versus the great riches that were, would have come his way as being a prince in Egypt, perhaps even the next Pharaoh. Moses had to flee Egypt for killing this Egyptian and for 40 years, we basically hear nothing about Moses' life until the burning bush. During those 40 years out in the wilderness, Moses is learning humility. He has gone from prince of Egypt to following his father-in-law's sheep. Now remember, being raised as an Egyptian, Moses, along with other Egyptians, thought shepherds and herdsmen, well, that was kind of a despicable profession, <laughs> if you want to call it a profession. And Moses, he's learned, though, to accept his position as a shepherd out in the wilderness. And we see how God has thoroughly washed away any pride in the life of Moses. God has brought Moses to a place where God can use him. He can be of service to God. And thus we see God appearing to Moses now in the form of a bush that will not be consumed with fire. The burning bush wasn't so miraculous to Moses, but the fact that it was not consumed is miraculous to Moses. 
And in this voice from the burning bush, God speaking to Moses, he gives Moses his mission for life. Go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. And throughout the book of Exodus, we see God performing many miracles time and again by the hand of Moses. God using a humble man like Moses to deliver his people, his chosen people, Israel. But Moses is not popular with the children of Israel. In fact, at different times they want to stone Moses and Aaron, Joshua and Caleb because the people as a congregation, as a a group, they prefer to believe the evil report of the ten spies versus the good report of the two spies. But God's not going to allow his servant to be stoned, so he intervenes by coming down in his cloud of glory at the tabernacle, and God begins to tell the people of their punishment for the sin of unbelief. Believing or not believing is a choice we make, and that choice has little to do with truth. We think, well, if you show me the facts, I'll go along. No, not necessarily. <laughs> the thing with uh, a lot of Christians, a lot of us, we never recognize unbelief as sinful. Most of us think we have a right to be convinced of the truth. We have a right for God to show us why we should exercise faith. And we find ourselves walking by what we think is logical or walking by circumstances, not walking by faith. And we learn this at an early age. We're taught to be logical in our thinking, weigh out the pros and the cons of a situation. Uh, but that doesn't always work in God's economy. We're to walk by faith, not circumstance. And if we're not careful, we can be teaching our children and those around us not to be people of faith. Yet we know Every believer knows that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Not difficult, impossible. And sometimes we try to skirt around that. We have a choice, a conscious choice, to exercise faith or oppose God with unbelief. Many times, exercising faith is going to require you to get out of your comfort zone, and we don't like that. <laughs> I think uh, public speaking is probably one of the basic fears that keep a lot of people from serving God because they're afraid to get up in front of people and just speak. Obviously, it never bothered me. Well, it actually did. <laughs> but we're to be bold in our Christianity. God wants us to be bold in faith. 
When we anoint with oil back in our little prayer area, we always want to be praying a prayer of faith. We don't want to be praying, oh, Lord, if it's your will, we want you to do this healing. No. No, that's not a prayer of faith. You go ahead and pray a prayer of faith and let God defend himself. Sometimes we think we have to defend God by praying prayers that are hedging, you know. Uh, and, Lord, if you can see your way clear to do this, we pray that maybe you would do this. And No, no, go ahead, step out there. God's not afraid of being God. And James said it this way. Don't let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave on the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. A doubting prayer is like a wave on the ocean, driven and tossed about by the wind. A doubting prayer never pleases our Lord. James tells us a doubting prayer is unstable and double-minded. But let's go back to our text. We're in Numbers chapter 14. God has been telling Israel, his people, all those that are 20 years old and younger will see the promised land, but those over 20 years of age will not see the promised land. And then we have three verses that are mingled in this chapter, and that's verses 24, 30, and 38. And I'm going to read those three verses. They're not in succession, but they're, they're scattered. Verse 24, But my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit in him, has followed me fully. I will bring into the land where he went, and his descendants shall inherit it. Verse 30, except for Caleb, the son of Jephthah, and Joshua, the son of Nun, you shall by no means enter the land which I swore I would make you dwell in. In verse 38, but Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephthah, remained alive of the men who went to spy out the land. So you have three verses mingled in this chapter where God is saying, these two guys will see the promised land, basically because they had a different spirit within them. Now, Caleb is an interesting character. When we look back at the lineage of Caleb, we discover that he was a proselyte to Israel. He is not a natural-born Jew. Caleb is kind of like Rahab of Jericho, Ruth the Moabite, or even Uriah the Hittite. Caleb is a convert to the Jewish religion, and Caleb is pleasing to God. Verse 24, it says, Caleb has a different spirit within him. And this spirit within Caleb chose to follow God, and it says, fully, completely. What a great thing to have said about you. He followed God or she followed God completely. 
as Gentiles, and I assume most of us here are Gentiles, and as Christians, you and I, as believers, have a different spirit within us. We have the Holy Spirit of God who indwells us. And because we have the Holy Spirit, we have every reason to be brave and courageous like Caleb and Joshua. And it isn't only Caleb and Joshua. There are other great men of Scripture. And in the New Testament, uh, we have saints, we have men and women of God that had a different spirit to follow Christ. And some of these people had to forsake their Jewish roots to follow Christ. But as the Holy Spirit shines his light upon each and every one of our lives, what we do with the truth as he reveals it to us determines our destiny. Caleb, one of my heroes. The Apostle Paul, a hero of the New Testament. When we read about Paul, it doesn't seem as if Paul had an ounce of fear in him. And if, you know, if there was something to do dangerous, he kind of chose to do it in a dangerous way. <laughs> and upon Paul's conversion on the Damascus Road, we hear Paul bringing his whole life into focus in a moment. And he says, to Jesus, what would you have me do, Lord? There you go. Paul understood right away because of this enlightenment of Jesus appearing to him, he had a responsibility to God. And so he says, what would you have me do, Lord? And Jesus began to show Paul the things that he must suffer mm, for his newfound faith. In 2 Corinthians, Paul lists some of his sufferings. So 2 Corinthians 11, we'll read 22 through 33. And it's kind of Paul's menu of what he's been through. And he says in verse 22, Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prison more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews five times I received forty stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in pearls of water, in pearls of robbers, in pearls of my own countrymen, in pearls of the Gentile, in pearls of the city, in pearls of the wilderness, in pearls of the sea, in pearls among false brethren. That's a lot of pearls, by the way. In weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things what come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? I do not burn with indignation. If I must boast, 
I will boast in the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. In Damascus, the governor under uh, Aretas, the king, was guarding the city of the Damascus with a garrison desiring to arrest me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped from his hands. Notice Paul's last word when he, when he gives the account of his sufferings. To get a mindset on Paul. I was let down in a basket through a window in the city wall, escaped the garrison of soldiers desiring to arrest me. Paul escaping the garrison troubled him. In Paul's mind, he's wondering, why am I not standing up defending the faith? I think Paul looks upon his escaping as a moment of regret. Why else would Paul list his escape in his tortures? It's torturing his mind. But I don't want to dwell on that. Let's look at one of Paul's beatings and turn over to Acts 16, and we'll look at verses 16 through 24. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. The girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. But Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs, which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. Paul and Silas have been beaten, thrown into a dungeon, the inner prison. Their feet have been placed in stocks. Now let's look at their reaction. And that's in verse 25 through 34. But at midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken, and immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, 
for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were there in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. A lot of reading. Paul and Silas have been unjustly beaten. Stripes, open wounds on their backs, and now they're placed with their feet in stocks. When your feet are in stocks, you can only lay on your back, but their backs are an open wound. So there sit Paul and Silas, praying and singing hymns to the Lord. And a great earthquake hits. And it breaks off everybody's chains, not only Paul and Silas, but all the prisoners. And all the prison doors come off their hinges and are open. When the jailer sees this, he is about to kill himself. Because the jailer knows that his life will be required of him if one prisoner escapes. And now he thinks all the prisoners have escaped and he's just going to play and kill himself. But Paul cries out to him, do yourself no harm. For we are all here. Even the other prisoners will not leave because they must hear the words of life that Paul has. The jailer has one question. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? The jailer, the other prisoners, they have to know what makes these two prisoners that were beaten so willing to suffer. What makes them happy? They're singing hymns. They're praying. They're obviously doing praise hymns. <laughs> They're so willing to be a powerful witness. You see, Paul and Silas are in jail. And they're in jail for casting out an evil spirit from the young girl. She had a spirit of divination. And that's just a, a kind of a polite way to say Paul and Silas have cast out demons from this girl. Paul and Silas, like Caleb, like you and I, brothers and sisters, as believers, they have a spirit that is contrary to demons. We have a different spirit in us than is in the world. We, as believers, are indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God. Luke eleven thirteen. 
uh, Jesus is talking. He says, you being men know how to give good gifts. He says, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? All you have to do to receive God's Spirit is ask him. Therefore, because of having the Holy Spirit living in us, be looking for opportunities to witness. Opportunities to tell others what they must do to be saved. And that is the message this world needs to hear today. What must they do to be saved? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer.